Lesson eight, Bible ways to keep your healing and stay healthy. We've covered for several lessons now about divine healing and God's will being healing. And we've proven over and over again, God does not want you sick. God does not use sickness as a instructor. Because if that was the case, he wouldn't need the Holy Spirit, the Bible, or teachers. He would just let you stay in sick. You know, I went to the university to get a degree in geology, and sickness never taught me anything about geology. In fact, sickness is a very bad geologic instructor. In fact, I miss class. So, and then some folks are nurses, and some folks are in school to be uh, teachers, and some folks are in school to be engineers. I don't think sickness teaches them anything about their field of study either. So why in the world would we think sickness would teach us something about God? How, how, you know, when we distill it down to that elementary truth, how ridiculous is that? And yet, how many Christians believe the truth? Well, God will put sickness on you to teach you something. Like what? I've never heard a good response to any of that. Like what? Anyway, we've covered that enough. But uh, we just want to be convinced in our heart. And maybe even, even us as good old Pentecostal charismatics who believe in divine healing, sometimes when the road gets long and the road to recovery is arduous and we're believing God and believing God, it's not getting any better. Maybe that religious thought comes into our mind. Well, maybe God is trying to accomplish something here. Well, we've proven in seven weeks of instruction that that is a ridiculous statement. And when it creeps in, it just lets you know you haven't fully convinced yourself of it, that God wants you healthy and whole. Because when you know that you know that you know that you know that you know, you don't stop believing. You don't stop speaking to the symptom. You just declare it has to get better. It has to, it has to recover. We had the one lesson a few weeks ago that said sick people in the Bible who got healed and who didn't and why. And we found that every person who didn't get healed was because either they never repented or they never asked for it. Everybody else who asked for healing in the Bible got healed. So that's 100% out of 100%. That's a good way to build a doctrine. This lesson, we want to look at Bible ways to keep your healing and to stay healthy. Now, obviously, there's sometimes we get sick, and it's just a matter of the fallen state. It's a matter of the fallen world. It's a bacteria. It's a virus. And in those instances, we get healed. We recover. We want to know how to stay healthy. And, and other times, um, sometimes we're sick because we didn't take care of ourselves. Sometimes you're sick because of an industrial accident or because you were exposed to something and you need divine healing and you'll never, ever fall into that kind of sickness again. But there's just all these different reasons sickness comes. Sometimes it's a demonic attack. Sometimes it was just foolishly playing outside in freezing cold weather and with a low immune system. But we need to look at different ways we can use wisdom to keep our healing and see what the Bible has to say about it. So that's why we wrote this lesson. Here in America, a great deal of our sickness and disease is related to our health or excuse me, our dietary health. And uh, new science comes out every year saying that even though we're the most technologically advanced culture on the planet, we are the sickest culture on the planet because we have abundance of food, abundance of sugars, refined food. And this is not a message on increasing your dietary habits, but I think we understand we win in heart attacks, America. We win in strokes. We win in diabetes. One man said, give me one thing America invented. And they said, diabetes. And a lot of this stuff, if we could just stay healthier or eat healthier, keep our flesh under, there would be one less thing we have to believe God for in our healing. You know, again, some things are accidents. You just fell and broke your leg. Well, you believe God for your healing and your leg will heal itself and God will expedite it or heal it supernaturally. And then just don't go jumping off cliffs anymore. 
But other things, you know, we just have to look into this kind of thing. All right, that's, that's enough on that. Let's get into this. Once we've received healing in our bodies, it's very critical we learn how to maintain our healing and not let it slip again. Better than receiving healing for sickness is walking in divine health. This lesson will cover how to both keep your healing and walk in divine health. That's what we want to look at. This is kind of more of a, a basics once, you're, once you are healthy. Maybe we could also call this uh, ways to make sure, ways to fortify your health, ways to prevent sickness from creeping in, ways to prevent stuff from coming in and, and the, the uh, devourer eating your lunch. So the first subject I've got here is a naturally healthy lifestyle. So just, just live healthier. Our lifestyle directly affects how we live. Judge the natural appetites of your life. So here's just a couple of examples. And we have biblical answers for every one of these bullet points. Stressful people have health issues. So how can you protect your health and stay healthy? Eliminate stress. Now, I'm not going to give you all the psychological ways. I will give you the biblical ways. Cast all your cares upon the Lord. Yeah. Take no thought for tomorrow. Bring into captivity every thought. Stress is nothing more than your mind just running, trying to find an answer it doesn't have yet. Stress is nothing but worry and fear. And so fear, even as Job said, we, if those of you that are Bible students, you know exactly why Job got sick. He said, that which I have feared the most has come upon me. Stress. And that was a demonic thing. It wasn't just his heart beating faster all day long and breaking down his immune system. We know it was a demonic, satanic attack. But it was a stress. He was constantly fearful that he had done something wrong and his children had and God would smite him. Well, God didn't smite him. The devil did. But Job told off he was in stress and in fear and that brought all this stuff into his life. So judge yourself on stress. I actually just recently heard an article or a a story on the news uh, on the radio about stress is all a matter of how you deal with things because everybody has stressful lives unless, of course, you know, you're in a romper room in a straitjacket being fed with a slingshot by your caretaker or something. Everybody lives a stressful life. The difference is how people handle it. And they use the example, everybody in L.A. has to sit in traffic, but not everybody lives stressful sitting in that traffic. Some people, they just take it, they say, I just determined this is my me time. I have an hour commute in bumper-to-bumper traffic. This is my unwind time. This is my classical music time. This is my listen-to-preaching-tape time. This is my prayer time. That's how they handle it. The other person just grits their knuckles and, and is agitated the whole time and road rage flares up. That's a stressed out person. And a lot of it depends on how close your walk with God is. And I can personally tell the more I pray, the less I feel anything I do all day long. It's just easy to handle all of it. It's almost like prayer gives me octopus arms and I can just handle things in every direction. But when I don't pray, my arms begin to fall off and I'm left not just with one arm, half a nub. And I'm trying to do everything I do every day with just half a nub. And it it, it behooves us as Christians to pray more to get God's power and ability on us. If you don't think you have time to pray, I would tell you, you can't afford not to pray. You don't have time not to pray. Our second point, obese people have health issues. For example, cardiovascular diseases. So we know America is the most overweight population on the planet. That's just a fact. You know, we in this church, we have, some of us are large and it's all a matter of self-control. Perhaps one of the greatest fruit we've overlooked in the last 60 years has been the fruit of self-control. If you would pray that spirit or that, that's fruit of the spirit over your life every day, you could easily get a hold of your, your dietary habits. Uh, it, 
if you don't think it works, it's because you've evidently never tried it. But if you were to say, Lord, I thank you for the spirit of self-control. Help me bear the fruit of self-control. Let me eat to live, not live to eat. There's a verse in the New Living Translation in Timothy. It says, practice, no, train, excuse me, train yourself to be godly. Train your, I like that translation. King James says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Uh, for physical exercise benefits for a short time. Godliness uh, benefits both in this life and that which is to come. New Living Translation says, train yourself to be godly. Uh, apparently even self-control is something you have to train. And with prayer, you get better at it. But there's no reason if you're born again with the Holy Spirit of God helping you, you would have to be overweight. Awfully quiet on that one. There's absolutely no reason. And this is not me picking, picking on chubby people. But there's absolutely no reason why if you're born again with the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of God's word, you have to be overweight. The only reason you would be is because you don't exercise the fruit of self-control. Because flesh rules rather than you ruling it. So if you would just pray Galatians 5, 22 and 23 in the fruit of self-control or, uh, well, self-control is the best way to translate it. There's no reason why you have to eat more than you need. Just again to explain to you, people are overweight because they eat more food than their body needs on a day-to-day basis. It is as simple as a calorie budget. It is as simple as a calorie budget. If you take in less calories than your body needs every day, you will lose weight. If you take in more calories than your Bible needs every day, you will put on weight. Fat is nothing but a savings account. Right? Now, One thing I do notice is people that are overweight are often broke. I wish we could be broke on fat and have some money in the bank. But both of them, broke in the bank and overweight, is a lack of self-control. All right, enough on that. People get uncomfortable. I'm not picking on you. I'm just trying to help your quality of life. Amen. Improper rest will cause health issues, sleep apnea, fatigue, etc. So uh, we got scripture for that. He gives his beloved sweet sleep. We got two or three scriptures on, in the Psalms alone about just sleeping well. And you ought to claim those. Notice these aren't just handed to you. You have to contend for all of these. Stress wants to come on you. You have to contend for peace. Food wants to own your life. You have to contend for self-control. Sleep apnea or sleep issues want to rob your life of strength and energy. You have to contend for sweet sleep. But these are things, once you master them in your life, they'll always be there and your life will improve. Sexually promiscuous people have STDs. Well, that's real easy. Stop sleeping around. But see, you have to live a naturally healthy lifestyle. We're not even talking about holiness. We're just talking about stop sleeping around. And you will, you will stop the flow of STDs. They just said, I just read a statistic. I want to say it was 100 million Americans have STDs. It was, it was like egregious. It was, I thought, that's one in three Americans have an STD. That might be a little high, but it, the number, I would have thought 20 million, 30 million. This was way up there. Just stop sleeping around and you won't have any STDs. Amen. 
Improper diet can produce an array of health issues. Now, improper diet is different than, say, obesity. Improper diet is you're just not getting the proper carbohydrates you need. You're all sugars, all processed food, all, all just simple dietary science, you know. Do GMOs if you want to. Do gluten-free if you want to. I don't care. But, you know, if all you do is drink soda pop all day long and don't ever eat any vegetables, you're not going to have any energy. You're going to suck the calcium out of your bones. You're going to have fragile body parts. And your body's designed to work a certain way. I was talking with somebody the other day, and I said, you know what's ridiculous is we don't just faith our vehicles. And by faith our vehicles, I mean, you know, just drive it till everything just falls apart. But there are certain laws of science you have to obey so your vehicle lasts longer. Change the oil. And you don't just put weed eater oil in your truck. You have to obey the proper kind of oil. And you don't put the wrong kind of viscosity oil. You put the right kind of oil in your truck. And then you don't put transmission fluid in the, oil, the engine, and you don't put oil, flu, oil, engine oil in the transmission, and you don't put the wrong tires and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we don't just faith our trucks or faith our cars hoping they're going to keep running forever. We obey the design of the vehicle by the manufacturer, right? And we want to just faith our bodies without understanding how our bodies work. There's a reason you can't drink isopropyl alcohol. And they've proven if you drink regular alcohol long enough, you rot your guts out too. So just an improper diet will hurt your health. These are all common sense things, but I think sometimes in our circles, we want to live fleshy and then believe God for a miracle. Rather than every day believe God for self-control and discipline and never have to need a healing. But you know, Pastor Vaughn used to say, it's a, it's a common cliche, pay me now or pay me later. I'd rather pay you a little bit every day. You know, a dollar a day adds up rather than just wasting money. And at the end of the year, I owe somebody 400 bucks all at once. Teeth require daily care, otherwise prepared to lose them. So, uh, you know, we're teaching Lydia how to brush her teeth. I think every human being ought to know how to brush their teeth. And then there's this stuff called mouthwash. And if that's not strong enough, there's this really industrial strength stuff called Dr. Tishner's. I preach on Dr. Tishner's from time to time. That stuff will strip varnish. It'll strip the paint off an aircraft carrier. And it will kill every bacteria in your, your mouth all the way down to the lower end. And it will clean your teeth. And then there's dental floss. And you have all sorts of neat toothbrushes. You should brush your teeth. And, you know drink fluoride rinse and use toothpaste and not just your finger or your sweater. You know, <laughs> amen. Where's my dentist? I should be getting more amens from the in-house dentist. <laughs> amen. <laughs> but, you know, teach your kids. I, there was a show I watched one time and the two kids were playing and they were getting rough and he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, you've already lost all your baby teeth, man. We're playing for keeps now. As in, if you knock one of these out, it doesn't grow back. You know, I've actually seen some of your kids, they have cavities. I don't, hopefully, 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 they're not their permanent teeth. You know, it takes time and discipline to teach your children how to brush their teeth. All right. So I'd rather be, just do daily teeth maintenance and have to believe God for a set of dentures. I mean, a real set of teeth. Nothing against dentures, of course. But... <laughs> I would rather, I'd rather just have healthy teeth. Amen. You know, there's a, there's a verse for healthy teeth in the book of Genesis. One of the promises to the tribe of Judah is that he will have teeth white as milk. I claim that all the time. We claim it over our family. 
Do you know God's got promises for every part of your body if you'd actually study the Bible and look for them? Rather than looking in the phone book for a good doctor, just find scriptures. Amen. All right, you don't like that so much. I don't know. I know we live in middle Tennessee and Dr. James is a wealthy man because of it. We believe in divine healing and health, but we also believe in being good stewards of God's temple. Do your part to care for your body as God does his part. So that's our first section. Next section, how, do, how, how are we going to maintain a healthy lifestyle? Holy. A holy lifestyle is a healthy lifestyle. A holy lifestyle will go a long way toward keeping us healthy. You ever get around sinful people? We're talking not just, just heathens that don't know Christ yet, but just folks that choose to live sinful. And you hear that expression, it's a, it's a horse expression, rode hard and put up wet. And that's an expression that relates to horses. You know, the, the cowboys would ride the horses all night through storms and then put them up wet and it just made the horse sickly. And there's some people you can just see sin on them and they just look like they've been rode hard and put up wet and they, it ages them. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Just a sinful lifestyle makes people look older and uglier. And yet, the Bible says he'll beautify the meek with salvation. So when those that are born again live according to what they know, it beautifies them. The glory of the Lord comes upon them. I've seen people's countenances change. You can almost literally see wrinkles go away and faces begin to glow rather than have that sickly, sinful death look on them. So just living clean and holy will do a lot for you. Amen. Sin is still the number one killer of people. I don't care. It's not heart disease. It's not stroke. It's not AIDS. It's not Ebola. Sin is the beginning and the end killer of all people. Sin is often tied to giving the flesh what it wants and giving it what it wants excessively because that's the flesh nature. I want more. I want more. I want more. In fact, Proverbs says of the drunkard that he will ruin his life, drive a thorn into his hand, not even notice it, and in the morning get up and say, why did I do that? Nevertheless, I will return again. That's how dumb sin in the flesh is. That's why this, the fruit of self-control is so critical. There's not a thing in our life that we have to have except for air, water, and just enough food to live calorically day to day. So it's a good thing as a Christian to learn to put your flesh under. To, if there's something your flesh desires, fast it. Just say, no, no, no. You were wanting that Coca-Cola way too hard there, buddy. Just for that, no Coke for you. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's no five meals a day, flesh. Now, maybe if they're 50 calories a piece, you can have five meals a day. But there's no five 3,000-calorie meals a day. That might be why your middle name's Jabba. <laughs> if your flesh is craving something, just fast it. Dr. Barclay says fast your attractions so they don't become distractions. Doesn't mean he didn't say cut them out. You just fast them. Boy, I'm really wanting to watch that TV show again, or I'm really wanting to go do this again. Fast it just because your flesh wants it so bad. That'll help you curb the desires of the sinful nature that want things and want them excessively. We have in America in the last five years invented binge watching of television where you don't just sit down and watch one TV show till it comes on next week. You can watch the whole season in one evening. That's not good for you either. Because all of a sudden, it puts you into a completely false reality. You think these people are real because you have just given them your soul for five hours straight or 12 hours straight. That's not healthy. Your soul is now invested in an unreal show, in fiction. And, and yet, Christians that binge watch television don't binge pray. They don't binge study, binge study the Bible. You do find, though, that folks that binge watch TV also binge food. 
because they give themselves over to the flesh. The flesh will binge anything, binge booze, binge porn, binge eat, binge television, because the flesh can't get enough. It is designed to self-destruct by the sin nature. All right, so we got to live a holy lifestyle. And sometimes holiness is you just turn television off. Sometimes holiness is you just put the fork down. Sometimes holiness is you don't need two servings of dessert. Sometimes holiness is instead of sitting down, you go for a walk. Anything to put your flesh under. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So by living clean, you can stay healthy. By living holy, you can promote health in your body. Sin has a paycheck, and that is death. Living dirty after you've been healed will certainly bring sickness back upon you. And Jesus warned of this many, many times. Uh, John 5.14 says, Afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, you are made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Notice no hug. No congratulatory high five or fist bump. Jesus, now, Jesus healed him out of mercy and compassion, but he finds him and he gives him a stern warning because I don't think this was full of, you know, puppy dog eyes, and, but, you know, it was still full of the love of God. He said, you are, you are made whole. Behold, look, look at how healthy you are. Now go and sin no more, lest something worse comes to you. That's a promise, which also lets us know whatever he was healed of, which was impotence in his feet or whatever was crippled, happened to be because of sin. So whatever he had done, maybe his legs were broken by a punisher. Maybe he got in a fight. Maybe he slept with somebody's wife. Maybe that guy ran over him with a horse. We don't know. But Jesus healed him. And Jesus also said, you're this way because of sin. And if you don't stop sinning, apparently it was still in his heart. Because if you're crippled like that, you're not exactly running to go sin. But apparently even this sin was still in his heart. Which also answers the question, you can sit at home and just still be full of sin desiring things in your heart. To a man healed of an unknown infirmity, Jesus warned him to sin no more lest something worse come upon him. That worst thing could have been more sickness or perhaps even death. So again, we're just proving the point that living a holy lifestyle will help promote health in your body. Romans 8, 6, for to be carly minded or the minding of the flesh, the obeying of the flesh is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace spiritually mindedness is life and peace. So this also answers our whole stress thing. If you could set your mind on the spirit and obey the spirit, it's going to instantly bring you life, which is what health is, is life in your body, and it's going to bring you peace. And so therefore stress is you're not minding the spirit, you're minding the flesh. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, the spirit would tell you pray. The spirit would tell you search the scriptures. The spirit would tell you look in the book of Proverbs. And find some wisdom for it. But too much of the time, we, even though we're taught well in church, we're taught well in Sunday school, we're taught well in our Bible times, it doesn't mean we're doing what we're taught. And all we have to do is look at our lives, look at our stress level, look at our healing, our health, our, our day-to-day health. Everybody fights something in seasons. We're talking about an overall lifestyle of health or sickness. It lets you know how much you're really obeying the scriptures or not. Again, some folks are just perpetually sick with something new. There's always that thing you're fighting, that big thing you're believing for, the miracle you need. I'm not begrudging that or talking about that. I'm talking about it's this today and something tomorrow and there'll be something else next week. And those kind of folks, I I have to question how much do they really obey the Bible? Or how much are they minding what their flesh is saying to them? There are times you just come to church hurt. 
There are times you just get in prayer sick. There are sometimes you just got to muster up and, and notice all these folks came and found Jesus while they were ailed. They didn't use the American excuse of staying home. Now, again, if you're infectious, stay home and we'll podcast you or stream you. But I'm talking about something minor, you know. We stay home because we have the sniffles Friday afternoon. It's really pretty lame. You know, some folks are already making the decision this morning. I don't think I'm going to go to church tonight. I've got a long day tomorrow. What does tomorrow have to do with tonight? Or, you know, nobody says that about work. Uh, I don't think I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I'm going to stay up late tonight. I'm planning on watching the ball game tonight. That's going to put me up till midnight. I've got to be up at 6. I think I'm just going to call in sick tomorrow. I might as well be calling sick to church all the time, too. See how, how full of excuses we become. That kind of mindset keeps you perpetually sick. All right, Romans 8, 6, for to be carly minded, the minding of the flesh is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Keeping your mind holy and set on the things of God will bring life and peace. An unholy mind will work death in your members. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We went, I give you a little example of this, just how the mind works, the, the human will. We went yesterday to, to visit Charlie Wester in Vanderbilt. The church knows he's fighting cancer. He's very open about it. It's nothing secret. He's very matter of fact. And um, he's got a tumor on his pancreas that shrinks every week. It's amazing. We, we send him a prayer cloth every week. We pray for him. His church family's praying for him. He's praying. That thing's shrinking, but he had also discovered a bunch of little polyps or tumors in his stomach. Well, this new turn of events is that those, those little tumors in his stomach are causing him to have digestive issues. So he's not been able to digest food very properly for the last two weeks. He's back in Vanderbilt as of this week and last night. He'll go home Monday. Um, and so he's throwing up some stuff. And so the doctors at Vanderbilt said, this is, we can't do anymore. You're inoperable, which means you're just going to have to starve to death. Well, that's a pretty sick way to die. Even though he's perfectly healthy, other than these two little things, one shrinking, and he's got these little things causing him to digestive problems. And so uh, we go to see him, and he's, he's just full of life and joy, cutting up with the nurses. You couldn't tell he's sick. You couldn't tell he's got any problems. He's cutting up with us, asking how our kids are doing, and we're here to pray for him. He's got a hospital room full of people. He's just Charlie. And, you know, he's a little skinnier, but he's been fighting this thing for several months. So I said, well, Charlie, let's pray for you. That's why we came to pray, so we can get out of your way. You can visit with your friends. He said, well, I haven't told you everything's going on. So that's when he filled us in. He said, so they're going to put a tube in my stomach, so when I feel like I can digest it, I keep it digested. And if I don't feel like I can, I turn the tube and I empty my stomach. And that way I can keep processing it. He said, and these doctors don't think I'm operable, but they say some do. He said, so it's time to take a road trip and find a second opinion because I'm not done fighting. You got Vanderbilt, which, ooh, Vanderbilt. They say you're a dead man walking. He says, no, I'm looking for a second opinion. He said, we're not done. And I said, I know you're not. So it excites me because, you know, when you pray for somebody, you want to find out where their health is or their, excuse me, their faith is. So I know exactly where his faith is now. We're not done. I said, Charlie, we're going to pray harder for you now because we were excited hearing about this, the big tumor shrinking every week. And so now this other wicked report means we just got to turn our prayer. So we have another family we're praying for because another husband, not Charlie, but another man, he's fighting a much, much more minor cancer. I called him on the way home because I was thinking about him. I said, how are you doing? They don't go to our church. 
And uh, he said, well, I, I, I hope. Well, you, you know, I'm not able to go to church much anymore. Uh, you know, I, I watch Sunday morning church, and so I talked to his wife. Well, he still prays, and, and we have our Bible time. And, and uh, I said, well, well, how you feeling? Well, you know, they got me on this, and how's your strength? Well, I, well, I guess it's okay. I, I cut the grass. I said, man, that sounds like you're doing great. And you could hear such a total difference. One of them's fighting a certain death sentence, full of more faith than most of us. The other one has just got this little minor thing. He's on a couple pill-popping things to treat, and he's already hopeless. Because to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's all a difference of how you want to view it and how your heart wants to attack it and set upon it. I would almost go ahead and tell you the prediction of the end result of these two races. I know who's winning as of today. I know who's losing as of today unless things change. And I think we understand that, that principle. All right. Let us choose to live, a, actually, Romans eight thirteen. for if you live out of the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do kill the deeds of your body, you shall live. Flesh is unholy. The Bible says you got to even hate your clothing spotted by your flesh. That means sometimes your flesh is eating and food falls out and it spots your clothing. That's a joke. But some of you with the self-control thing, you, you have a, a shelf here that collects, spotted by the flesh. <laughs> I shouldn't pick on you. Those of us that don't have a tummy, it collects in our lap. If you have a baby, it collects everywhere, even on the wall somehow. <laughs> Why are there squash on the wall? <laughs> if you live a lifestyle always obeying its whims, that lifestyle will kill you. There are many proverbs that speak to lengthening your life through righteous living or shortening your life through wickedness. Let us choose a clean life. 1 Timothy 4.8 For godly, bodily exercise profits little for a short while, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Notice this verse. You can preach this verse a hundred different ways. This verse promises both godly exercise, which is what it sounds like, exercising gives you some good life now, but also holiness or godliness will also give you some life right now too. So just think about if you were to live a life in America, we have to exercise more than Europeans or Africans or Asians. They walk everywhere. We don't walk anywhere. I'm almost insulted that the public service announcement talks about parking. Here's an idea, idea number 72. Park further away from the mall. Just one more thing you can do to help your body. And everybody circles for a half hour to find the closest one. While we go in there and buy 15,000 calories of food per meal and wonder why we have health issues. The government is having to tell us how to walk. I would be insulted, America. Our federal government is having to pay tax money to issue public service announcements to help American health. Tip number 72, park further away from your destination. Just one more thing you can do to fight. I think they called it the bulge, the belly bulge. Uh, this verse says godly exercise or bodily exercise and godliness both benefit life now. Amen. 
and that, and then of course, the godliness, that which is to come. Godliness promises life right now, not just in heaven. Godliness will cause the zoe, life of God, that's the Greek word for the God kind of life, life of God to abide in your body. Proverbs thirteen seventeen: a wicked messenger falls into mischief, but a faithful ambassador is health. Wickedness produces mischief, but faithfulness produces health. Just being faithful, let us be faithful. All right, third area that we can help maintain our healing is hold fast to the confession of your faith. These first two things are really just kind of natural. Natural health and then just living clean or holy. Now we start to get into more spiritual stuff. Hold fast the confession of your faith. Our words frame our lives. I think we all understand that around here. If you got healed and the symptoms start to come back up, don't say, I think it's coming back. I think it's coming back. You say, what is this thing coming back? I cursed you once. Get out of here in Jesus' name. Our mouth so much affects our life. Uh, the Bible is very clear in James. Our mouth is the rudder of our lives. Your mouth steers you wherever you go. They even taught this to us as children. There was a children's story called The Little Engine That Could. I think I can. I think I can. And you know what the little engine did? It did. It could. It was a biblical concept. It is critical we maintain the confession of God's word in our lives. Sickness is often brought on by what one has said. Now, folks want to debate you on that. So I always tell them, well, go home and just claim I have cancer. Do it 15 times a day for the next two weeks. Let's see what happens. So even to say that, we all go, because <laughs> we know better than that. And I think we also understand how fighting for the things of God is an uphill battle and you got to claim a thousand times it seems the things of God to get it but you just got to claim dumb once and it'll eat you up tomorrow and we, I think we understand that Mark eleven twenty three. for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall say I believe those things which he says shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he says I underline it he shall have whatever he says he shall have whatever he says. People have sickness often more easily because they believe that more than they believe the word of God. They believe that more easily than they believe the word of God, so they say it and they have it. Jesus Christ taught that we could have what we say. We must then be careful to say what we want. Many Christians confess sickness. You know, it's flu season. I always get the flu. Well, that Ebola, if it comes to Tennessee, I know it's going to hit my house. You know, or everybody at the office is work. I know I'm next. Or our, our kids just always seem to stay sick. Well, that would be your fault. And let me just give you an observation I've made as a pastor now for seven years. I notice that parents that don't tithe have sick kids. I'm a scientist. I watch this stuff. Those that steal the tithe, their life is always eat up with calamity. But they're violating a spiritual law, Malachi. You tithe and give offerings. The Lord rebukes the devourer. Now, tithers have kids that fight sickness, don't get me wrong, but it isn't every day. It isn't every month. It isn't missing three services a month because another kid is sick. It isn't this, this is blowing up, this car is breaking down, this water line's bursting, this house is burning down. There's a spiritual law here. At the very least, tithing improves your probability of succeeding. Amen. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Notice it says there, hold fast your confession. 
Hold fast what you're confessing or professing. The Greek is the same word. It doesn't matter how you want to translate it in this instance. After we have believed, uh, after we've received healing, we must maintain the confession of faith. Some Christians have believed and received healing for their bodies only to reverse the effect by the words of their mouth. I always like to tell the story of uh, I, I severely injured my leg in judo. Uh, this has been, I guess, 13 years ago now. And it was very badly damaged. I, but I instantly got to praying over it and speaking over it and praying over it. And I went from not being able to hardly walk at all to within about three or four days, I could walk just fine, but with a limp. And uh, I was riding around with a friend and we got into this little fight. You know, I don't know why friends do that. I'm almost embarrassed to say I did that because that's immature, you know. And it was, we were arguing over who's driving, you know, me and a bud, who's driving. And I, I said, look, I'll, I'm driving. Let me get out here. It's a closer walk for me. And they said, well, no, you dropped me off. You're driving. I said, I'll get out. You go park the car. And they said, why? I said, man, I can't even hardly walk here. And I said, I remember it. I, we were at Carabas in Knoxville, right at the front door. I remember it. And as soon as I said it, boy, my heart failed. And literally every bit of the pain, every bit of the injury came back, and it took months to recover my leg. And I was so close. But I, I used it as an excuse. I used it to manipulate. How many folks do that with their sickness? No wonder they stay perpetually sick. They love the attention and, and the relief of obligations and duties. It is a total selfish, selfish statement on my part, and it cost me. All because I just, in a fit of emotional immaturity, I can't even hardly walk here, man. Let me get out. And sure enough, I had what I said. I couldn't hardly walk. And I was walking really just fine, just with a little bit of discomfort. So I've, I've lived it myself. That's why I warned you of it. God's word is medicine, so we should always be speaking the scriptures. Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. My son, attend to my words, incline thy ear into my sayings. Let them not depart from my eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health and medicine to all their flesh. Now, my wife just taught me this the other day. I don't know why I hadn't seen this. I've been studying the Bible 20 years. But this is, you know, God has, God shows everybody stuff they don't show you. And so we were, we were praying some healing scriptures and my wife said, you know what, honey? God's word says his word is health, not just healing scriptures. She said, so I'm just going to study the Bible and not just get hung up on nothing but healing scriptures. And I thought, you are a wise and profound woman. How come I've never seen that? I know that, but I've never seen that. She said, why are we just praying healing scriptures all the time? He says, his word is healing and medicine. So I can study anything I want to in the Bible and it's healing and medicine. Well, color me stupid or something. Or unintelligent or blind. You're right. You're right. Praise God. The best time to confess the word of God for healing is while you are healthy. It is very difficult to build a house in a hurricane. Build your faith for healing while you are healthy. We ought to, every one of us be thankful every day that we got two legs, not just one and a half, that we have two hands, not a prosthetic and a normal one. We ought to be thankful for two eyes, even if we use glasses to see clearly through them. We ought to be healthy for teeth, even if they're dentures, that we're, that we're eating through our mouth and not through a feeding tube. We ought to be healthy for digestive health and not have to have a colostomy bag. We ought to be healthy for our heart, even if we have to take some kind of medication to regulate it. Because we're not in a wheelchair, we're not paralyzed, we're not a quadriplegic or paraplegic. We ought to be healthy, or excuse me, thankful for the health we have. It'll go a long way to getting you healthier. Amen. 
And honestly, going, we were in that ICU oncology ward there at Vanderbilt yesterday just to feel the heaviness because there's such hopelessness up there. Then you walk into Charlie's room and it's this oasis of faith and cutting up and joy. But to walk through that and then just see the rooms and the families, I text my wife, I said, honey, we have nothing to complain about. Our lives are perfect. And you just walk home saying, Father, thank you for my girls. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my vehicle. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my eyes. Thank you for my teeth. And you start thanking them for the hairs on my head and the hairs on my neck and the hairs that are coming in on the back of my arms now. Thank you for everything because I'm not in that ICU ward and I don't have anybody that's a blood relative that I love very dearly there. Amen. Walk in love. Here's our final step. We're just covering four ways to keep and maintain your health and healing. Hopefully you're learning something. Walk in love. Love defines our Christian walk. Not the, not the redefined hippie love, but the God kind of love. You know, hippie love was all selfish. I can sleep with who I want to. Who are you to judge? Love is why God saved us. Love is what compels us to share the gospel. Love is the first fruit of the spirit. Love empowers our faith, Galatians 5, 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. This love is critical to keeping your healing or just staying healthy. The only thing that avails is faith working by love. Faith avails over sickness, but faith derives its power from love. So faith will beat sickness, but faith has the power source of love. So if you're not walking in love, your faith's not going to work. You have to be very careful as a Christian to maintain your love walk, to not hold grudges, no matter how wrong somebody does you. If they can beat and spit upon Jesus and crucify him and pierce his hands and feet, he can hang on that cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Surely we can do that in our marriages. Surely we can do that on the job. Mature Christians don't hold grudges. Mature Christians don't hold grudges. Mature Christians don't look to get even. Mature Christians look to pray. And they commend themselves to the Lord that judges righteously. The Lord says, judgment, vengeance is mine, I will repay. It doesn't say, vengeance is mine, Chris said, I will repay. The Lord said that. So this is so critical to staying healthy. Uh, Yeah. No love, no faith. No faith, no healing. Love forgives. Ephesians 4.32, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. You must forgive. You do not forgive for your enemy's sake. You do not forgive for God's sake. You forgive for your sake. Now you forgive to obey God, but you have to let people go not for their sake. Some people have hurt us. They don't even realize they've hurt us. They're 100 years down the road doing better than we are. We forgive for our sake. We have to let them go. If you don't let them go in your heart, you stay in that area, that part of the past, that part of the history. And God has too much for you to stay where you were hurt five years ago, 10 years ago, five days ago. God wants you to move on. There's a a river of life. And when you get hurt, it's like grabbing a hold of a branch or a log and refusing to let go. So you have to let go so you can move on in God. Life's going to move on. God's going to move on. And there will always be Christians hung up on the reeds of life or the bushes of life or the roots of life or the boulders of life. And God wants them all washing downstream to his great movement. And yet the upstream of God will be littered with Christians full of offense. So whatever your thing is, you have to forgive. 
That doesn't mean you have to be around them. That doesn't mean you have to like them. That doesn't mean you have to be friends with them anymore or trust them anymore. No, if, if you betray me, I'll forgive you, but you're not having access to my life anymore. But I'm not, the thing is, we're just going to go our separate ways and you're not going to register on my, my internal radar anymore. I'm just not going to think about you and you're certainly not going to come around me. That would be foolish to trust someone that's betrayed you five times in the name of forgiveness. No, the love thinks the best and sometimes the best you can think of is they just need to get on in life and move out of my way. Amen. All right. Forgive one another. Forgiveness is critical to maintaining your healing. Forgiveness is a continuous manifestation of love coming out of your life. Let me read that again. Forgiveness is a continuous manifestation or flow of love coming out of your life. Love overlooks a a, a wrong. It takes no offense. It takes no account. So quit, even in your marriages, quit taking score. Marriages should not have scorecards. Well, I've done five things for you. You got to do five things for me. My little girl met the neighbor girl this weekend and they, you know, she, the little neighbor girl's four about to be five. Lydia's two about to be three. And our neighbors are pastors at one of the local churches, youth pastors. So we're out there just cutting up. So there's the little girls and the older little girl, her name's Brooklyn. They're jumping on the little utility box. And so Brooklyn gets upset. She jumped three times. I only jumped one. So Lydia comes back around and Brooklyn elbows her out of the way and says, I jumped three times now. And then, of course, her parents get on her and said, she is smaller than you and you are older. So what does that mean, Brooklyn? That means I must be a good girl. Right. So let her jump as much as you want. And now that I'm preaching, I think, sounds like marriages. You went three times and I only went one time. You get out of my way. Except we're talking about a four-year-old and a two-year-old in the front yard. I mean, a marriage in the front yard or the backyard or the kitchen. Yeah. It's okay when it's children learning how to share and prefer one another. It's sad when it's adults. Without forgiveness active in your life, you can expect sickness to stick around for a long time. Without forgiveness active in your life, you can expect sickness to stick around for a long time. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. got to quickly move on here. I'm over time. Let a man examine himself. Let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, for he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. This passage of communion, this passage speaks of communion in the Lord's body. The Lord's body is twofold. The body that was then sacrificed for us on the cross for healing and forgiveness, the body that now is the members of the church. That's his body. Both of those. Communion is also twofold. Communion with Jesus Christ at his table with his elements, the cup and the bread, and communion with the members of the body, members in particular. So if you don't have fellowship or communion with each other, it's going to be hard to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. We cannot commune with Jesus without communing with his body, people. If we are out of sorts with his body, we will be out of sorts with him. When we stay mad at his people, we are out of sorts with him. Being out of fellowship with Jesus will grant sickness and disease access to our lives and may even send us home to heaven prematurely. We cannot have fellowship with Jesus and stay mad at his body no matter how wrongly they have treated us. We must forgive. Amen. So perfect these areas in your life and you are assured to a longer and healthier life. Please hopefully get a hold of that. Grow up, mature. Say, Lord, help me, mature me, and he most certainly will. Father, I thank you for Sunday school. I thank you for blessing our time here. Bless these folks. May we receive all the healing we have need of in our bodies. In your name we pray. Amen.